lunch I eat a sandwich with a glass of Coke to roll. No one can see you drinking when you're working from home. I still produce reports in a professional font. But now when I have downtime, I can do what I want. And welcome to the Existentialist Cucumber, the podcast that rarely issues out a rerun, unless someone, one of us is not here. And my name is Larry Wu. As you guessed it, Curtis is recovering from the Olympics and climatizing back to our time zone. So we're giving him a week off and we decided to put out an old episode that we posted back on April 23rd, 2021, when the world was a little different place. Vaccines were slowly rolling out. Toronto was under the latest lockdown. And Curtis and I felt a bit nostalgic and decided to go down memory lane about the music we grew up with. So we hope you enjoy it, and we'll be back next week. And welcome to the Existentialist Cucumber, the podcast where we wonder, why is there no blue food? And my name is Larry Wu. And I'm Curtis Withers. You have blue ingredients, but no blue food. Why? Why? Oh, it's such a great, great joke, and rest in peace, George Carlin. Uh, George Carlin is interesting because he uh, he's a comedian definitely that that embodies a specific generation, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that that word's been kind of been bounced around over the last uh, week, and a term I haven't heard in a while is Generation X, which represents uh, people like you and I. You you and I fall into Generation X. Yeah, I think we're we're at we're at the we're the younger edge of Generation X. I think. Yes, yes. I, I, now they're calling it, calling it young boomers or uh, and then Generation X. But the reason why it started popping up recently is, uh, I guess, Curtis, we're up at bat now for vaccines here in Ontario. So they've opened it up for effectively the Generation X cohort. Mm-hmm. Uh, you and I were talking about uh, casting a pretty wide net. So both you and I are are seeing who, who gets the shot first. Uh, yeah, and, uh, yeah. Uh, Heather and I have sort of uh, put ourselves on a bunch of sort of, I guess, waiting lists at various pharmacies. But the thing is, like, we've we've done the same ones, and she's heard something back. Uh, it's not an appointment, but she's actually heard heard something further than what I have. And I'm like, what, what did I do to not get this extra piece of information? Uh, and you don't, and I, you'll you'll who knows. But uh, I, I'm I'm the same way. Uh, I I got a text. I thought I was gonna have get it in on Friday, but then I got bumped to the following Friday, three hours later. But you know, you and I said in previous episodes, we're both pretty good at not not catching the COVID. So this is the time to just kind of keep calm and stay steady and yeah. Just- Ride the course. Yeah, I'm pretty. I'm pretty aware that I'm not that I don't. I don't need it as bad as some other people. You know, like like I don't go anywhere. I can do everything at home and stuff. Um, you know, obviously, I still think that at the first available opportunity, I want to get it. Um, just the more people who get it, the better. But uh, you know, it, I, I I'm I'm totally fine if you know it, it comes it comes around to the upper beaches a little bit a little bit later than other places i'm cool with that well confirms my suspicion that our generation will probably be or generation x will probably be the highest adopters of the vaccine i don't i i think the cohort in front of us like that that 50 60 uh cohort i think they were very very skeptical and and that's why they opened it up to us earlier i think 
the millennials are also a bit more skeptical in, in one way. And I had a conversation with someone because they were, they are what people are referring to as the, the, the vaccine shoppers, right? Mm. So they immediately asked me, oh, which one do you think you'll get? And I said, well, it'll be AstraZeneca. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, you know, the tone of the voice changes. I said, well, why? Like, I never cared about who made vaccines before they've gone to my body. Why do I care now? Mm-hmm. Obviously, they, they, you know, the pre- it's, it's been around in the press and whatever. And I always say the same thing to most people uh, who ask me, oh, aren't you like scared about the side effects? I'm like, have you read the side effects for any other drug out there? And I, I brought one example out uh, to talk about. And um, this is the yellow fever vaccine. I think I talked about this before. I, I, I needed it to go to Kenya. So I'm going to read these uh, the uh, side effects of uh, the yellow fever vaccine. So- This is from the CDC. Rarely, they don't even give me odds, rarely, people develop severe, sometimes life-threatening reactions to yellow fever vaccine, including allergic reaction, including difficulty breathing or swallowing, so anaphylactic, swelling of the brain, spinal cord, or the surrounding tissue. Ooh. Uh, the Gillian Barr syndrome, so an uncommon sickness where the nervous system in which a person's own immune system damages the nerve cells, causing muscle weaknesses and sometimes paralysis. And, oh, at the end, internal organ dysfunction or failure. Right. Now, I got this shot because I wanted to go on vacay. <laughs> <laughs> So I'll take I'll take your AstraZeneca shot where what uh, seven people out of seven million. Yeah. It, or I don't know what the odds are now, but I think, it, yeah, I think it's something it was something like one in a quarter million developed blood clots or something like that. I don't know. I, I, I could be wrong, but it's something astronomically low. Curtis swelling of the brain. Yeah. <laughs> It doesn't make you smarter. Like I thought at first, oh, well, that'll just make me smarter. It doesn't. Or or what was that episode of The Simpsons with the baseball? Was it? Uh, oh, uh, Ken Griffey uh, Jr. Uh, oh, it was Ken Griffey? Giganticism? No. Yeah, Ken Griffey got the giganticism. That's right. <laughs> Ken Griffey's grotesquely swollen. They said grotesquely swollen jaw in the song, but it was more his head. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so I am not hesitant. You know, give me the shot. And I, I, I'm sure you're of the same vote. And, and really... Oh, yeah. People should, you know, get the information, but also understand the risk. So it's either get really, really sick from this thing that's been going around globally. The the risks, the the benefits outweigh the risk. Like I said, I took this shot that, uh, you know, possible organ dysfunction or failure because I wanted to see elephants in their, <laughs> in their yeah. natural habitat. But you knew you knew that it probably wasn't going to happen, and. Uh, the thing, too, is with these blood clots, even if they do happen, unlike maybe some of these side effects from the yellow fever uh, shot, you know, those blood clots are treatable. If you see signs and you can go and you you go to the uh, to the emergency room and you can get that treated. Like, I don't know. I think you have to ignore it for it to be like a really, yeah. you know. Or, or if you have a known history of blood related issues. Right. Mm-hmm. So. Um, so I, I found this funny article of. of uh, from the Beaverton, as always. Uh, I'll just read the headline because, of course, you don't need to read into it. But Rosedale resident given priority vaccines so they can summer in Muskoka. <laughs> Sounds about right. There, there, there's a great quote in it which basically says, 
butlers and maids really need to be made a central service so that they can get priority vaccine access. Because if you think I'm going to make my own bed and martinis like some sort of animal, you can guess again. <laughs> <laughs> the Beaverton had another good one today, just which is sort of adjacent, which was uh, something about because uh, you know how Doug Ford is isolating now because because That's of right. potential yep, COVID yep. exposure. So uh, so it was it was something along the lines of uh, you know Doug Doug Ford happy to have ha- happy to have paid sick days as he denies uh, Ontario paid sick days. <laughs> Oh, yeah, we could have the whole episode. But I th- you get a sense that that's going to come down the, the pipe soon. I think they, they it's the only thing that they haven't done. You know, there's been there's been talk definite. There was definite talk about it today, like they're going to do it. But, you know, I think I think, you know, the the fact to me that they're doing it now makes them look even worse. Like, I, mm-hmm. I think they should still do it. But like, just just to, to to absolutely flat out refuse despite repeated calls to include you know paid sick days and then to put it out right at the end saying oh yeah and i guess we'll add on these paid sick days you know if people if people you know go to the poll and say well he did eventually give us paid sick days i think you know he he, he eventually figured it out i'd be like man you shouldn't be allowed to vote you should punish him for never giving them to you until the last minute so I, I did a bit of I did a bit of research, probably not you know journalistic level research, because he and his party have always been said, oh, we don't want to do a a double hit on on this. So and but then it's like, oh, we don't have paid sick days. But then he's he's been chiming about this, right? That the federal government has this program. So I said, okay, I'm going to go in and look for myself because there's something that. Is either being ignored or not being presented up front. So I, I, I did find out about the federal uh, relief for sick, being sick, uh, being a sick worker, um, and I, I, I agree now. But again, it's one of those things where people need to stop talking about just give us sick days and explain to everybody why the federal one does not work. So the federal one only kicks in. And, and again, you have to apply for it, and then it takes time before the, the the federal government releases it. So that's one strike against it, especially if you're living paycheck to paycheck. The other qualification is it's you have to be you have to lose fifty percent of your weekly pay before you qualify. So for example, so f- let's just say you you work a uh, you know, a 36, 40 hour week, you have to lose 20 hours before you can even qualify to apply. So strike two. Um, so you're working at Amazon Fulfillment Center. You get a sore throat in the morning. You take the day off to get it checked out. Maybe it's nothing. Maybe it's, you know, too too much of too much too much of the drinky drinking the night before, so you only take off one day. Um, the federal program does not help you with that. Mm-hmm. You have to be sick. Basically, it only helps if you were really sick. But yeah, even yeah. then, I think it's even then it's not the recovery is is up to a certain dollar amount. It may not even cover. It's not even your full paycheck. Yeah. So I, I have a funny feeling they might augment it maybe i don't know if it's going to be completely like a sick day like you and i may have but 
Uh, well, the thing is, like that guy in your hypothetical example, probably as a result of the of what's on offer from the federal government, which is not much unless you meet those criteria that you mentioned, probably would have gone into work and not got it checked out. So you need to incentivize people to get these checked out. And if they're if 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 you're being punitive because they haven't missed enough time, then that's gonna dis, that's gonna you know they're 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 gonna be dissuaded from going and checking this you know potentially potential um uh, you know getting themselves checked out and then bringing a potential infection into the workplace. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So. Uh, so yeah, I think they're going to do something. I, I don't know what, in what form, but hopefully they'll do something, but, uh, getting back to generation X. So with that, I started going down this weird rabbit hole thought of, um, each generation also has its own music. And I started thinking about, you know, the music that we grew up with and started feeling nostalgic for that music. And then Sunday hits and I watch the latest episode of The Simpsons, which is aptly named Panic in the Streets of Springfield, which is the episode that guest stars Benedict Cumberbatch as Quillenby, who is basically Morrissey. Um, and we'll, we'll talk about that episode in the headline later, but it got me really nostalgic after that. And, and people constantly talking about Generation X, Curtis. So I started going deep into the vault and started looking at music that I was listening to kind of growing up and just kind of like, oh, wow, I really had some really weird taste in music. And some, some of the stuff didn't hold up, but I'll, I'll be honest. I, I was listening to a lot of Morrissey this week <laughs> and, you know, I, 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 he, he had some, he had some decent stuff, you know, like, you know, his solo stuff is good. You know, the stuff from the Smiths good, but I, I like his solo stuff better. But, uh, but that also brings me to a thought um, about that time when I started listening to Morrissey, which was probably, uh, 1990. I would think I would started listening to Morrissey, probably um, during that Bona Drag uh, type period, and um, I realized how much of a music drought existed during that time. And I, I'm, I'm I'm trying to narrow it down, but the best I could think of was about 1988 to 1991, 1990, where as a young person, I, I didn't like what was playing on mainstream radio or just being in the mainstream scene. And I started going backwards in time. So that's when I started exploring and finding out bands like, oh, there's the Smiths, Dead Kennedys. And that kind of led me to a whole bunch of music that, you know, it's no big deal now. But back then it was, you know, alternative and uh, it was the college radio station music, right? Yeah, and I think I went even further back because, like, I know what you're saying around that time because that would be like late in high school, and I wasn't really interested in in anything that was going on on the radio. And I'd been like a, a you know, a, a pretty big consumer of pop radio in the early '80s. Like, I was really into that kind of stuff. Um, but I kind of went into a sort of like '60s, '70s sort of thing where I, that's all I was listening to was, was, was rock from the specifically from the sixties and seventies, and uh, just because like I couldn't find any, anything can, you know, modern and, and contemporary that I was interested in. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. It didn't feel like that there was a bit of a drought. Uh, 
But let me ask you, during that drought period, was there any particular band, uh, band or bands or songs that basically made young Curtis say, okay, I'm out? Oh, like in, in, uh, you know, like what, what music was around at that? Like the music? Uh, either a band or song? Because I, I have two in my mind as, as young Larry, where when they, when it started getting really popular and started being played everywhere in school dances, heavy rotation on radio, heavy rotation on the video uh, shows. And I just kind of went, okay, I am out. I'm sure there was. I just can't really think of a of a good example off the top of my head. Okay, so let's maybe maybe maybe, maybe I'll, if I say if I say my two, you, maybe it'll jog your memory, uh, or maybe it'll, it'll, it'll awaken some horrible memory. I'm sorry, but okay. So the first artist, which arguably for whatever reason in in some kind of meme format is now popular again, is Rick Astley. When Rick Astley's big wonder album that hit. So I think I was in grade nine when I hit. So 1989, I would, I think that that, that would be never going to give you up. Yeah. Whatever that album is in, uh, together forever. Or together forever was the follow-up single. Yeah. Exactly. That was the first instance where I went, I'm out. And that led me to, listening to i think really weird stuff like i was listening to like weird al like sort of getting into weird al oh, yeah. as a result <laughs> um you know and, and just kind of exploring oh what what song is he parodying here and that kind of led me down some other paths the second song and this would have been a few years later was technotronics pump up the jam which i guess led into the whole and i'll, I'll i'm going to shame the whole genre like the whole house music scene, I'm out. Yeah, there was there was a lot of stuff I didn't like that, and that carried over for me into my first year of university because you'd go to all. Remember, remember uh, last week when we were riffing on all those great Ottawa drinking holes, like uh, yep, on tap and stuff. And they would play all that kind of stuff, plus like the you know black box, everybody, everybody, and all that stuff. And uh, too I unlimited. That's too unlimited. I despised all that stuff. So that would been, that, that probably would have been my my trigger as well. Maybe I just buried it. It's like <laughs> now 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 I've got technotronics stuck in my head. So those two songs kind of said, "Okay, I'm out," and and it kind of led me down finding bands like uh, Soundgarden, mm-hmm. it uh, Morrissey, Smiths, The Cure led me to some harder stuff. I was listening to like ministry, the rise of industrial skinny puppy. Uh, and also I was also listening even today uh, to a lot of hip hop at that time. And it wasn't, I guess it, in some circles it was called hip hop at that time, but it was, you know, primarily just called rap. So arguably probably one of the most influential rap albums would have been public enemies, rise of a black planet, right. Or fear of the black planet. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that was huge in the, uh, it was, I think that came out in 1990 in that, in that time period. So there was that, and then a rise of a lot of the East coast stuff. So, you know, I was kind of listening to a bit of rap, but it was, it was more or less still going down that alternative band, looking into the shoegazing, mm-hmm. uh, stuff that's coming out of the, 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 the nineties at that point in time, uh, 
but fun stuff. But but you were saying, Curtis, you kind of went down the quote unquote classic rock. I went hard into classic rock, like like very very um, like I, I got the uh, I got like I got my first CD player when I think I was in OAC. So like you know the you know the the now now the now defunct fifth year of Ontario High School and uh and one of the first one of the first things I got was the four disc Led Zeppelin box set and I played the shit out of that like I played that so much that I went through and I still love and I love it still yes that that one with the crops I, I'm, I'm yeah. I know we're in audio format, but I, I just pulled out the box set. Right? Yeah. This is the, the famous one, right? Yeah. Yeah. I listened to it so much that even though I, I never stopped loving Led Zeppelin and I love them to this day, I couldn't listen to them for probably about 10 years just because I listened to that. Like I listened to it all day. And then if I wasn't listening to that, I was listening to The Doors or The Who or, Roll- or The Rolling Stones. I wasn't so much into The Beatles. Like I kind of wanted more sort of like rock, you know, harder, mm-hmm. harder rocking sort of older bands, you know, Black Sabbath, all that kind of stuff. And that's all I listened to exclusively until, until, until like Nevermind hit. And then I was like, all right, now I'm listening to this, you know. Yeah, that, that's right. You know, like that kind of rise of grunge started, I started caring about more, caring more about modern music that yeah. was coming out. So I, I just like you kind of went down classic rock or the bands I kind of mentioned earlier. I started thinking, well, reading about influence, what influenced them. And this was another band that I kind of went down the rabbit hole on, which was uh, the Velvet Underground. Yeah. And I, I'm again, audio format, but I'm showing Curtis the uh, box set. No, that of, uh, peel, e, peel slowly and see, right? <laughs> which actually it does peel. I just haven't done it yet. And I probably won't. Yeah. <laughs> I tried. I really tried with the Velvet Underground. They're too cool for me. I just, you know, <laughs> I couldn't do it. So, uh, yeah, it's, it's it's great, kind of reminiscing of some of the some of the music going that time. And you're right. Once that kind of grunge period hit, there seemed to be like this. I don't, I don't know if it's worth calling a, a renaissance, but um, that 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 college university radio sound was becoming mainstream yeah yeah that was the last time that i can remember like really being interested in mainstream like you know i i like i like the occasional i like i like the occasional carrie Katy perry or uh or taylor swift song but uh you know back then like it was like i i felt like i was already wearing like jeans with holes in them and long underwear underneath and then all of a sudden it became fashionable i was like shit yeah this is great you know, like that was the last time the run was the last time i felt like i like i was in sync with what was kind of like happening and then i kind of like it, it lasted for like three or four pretty good years and then i, I got uh, uh, untracked again and then you know i have no idea what's going on anymore so so I had read somewhere, and I don't know if you believe or uh, subscribe to this thought, but they there was a, a, a discussion point that after your after you turn thirty five, you tend not to listen to any more new music. That after that threshold you pass, you kind of more or less hang on to stuff that you've historically listened to only. And I, I don't know if you believe that 
I don't necessarily. I, I mean, no, I don't think that that's that there's absolutely no truth to that. Um, but I, I, I think it depends. Like, I, I had a friend. I, well, he's still my friend, but like he used to work at CP, and he was the, uh, and he was like the music writer at CP, and he used to make me uh, year-end compilations all the time. So like you know, all pretty new stuff from from that year, and I used to love them. Now, having said that, I think like left to my own devices, I probably would have just been listening to like, you know, Bad Motor Finger and Ten and <laughs> never mind <laughs> for, for eternity. But because yeah, yeah. but because I had access to someone who kind of curated it for me, I certainly was open to it. And then I'd listen to to it, and then I'd be like, "Oh, these guys are you know th- th- this is this is great." And you know, I'd start like getting into the you know start looking for other. You know, bands that I particularly liked, I'd start looking for more from their catalog and stuff like that. So I think it just depends. Yeah, but 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 you're not listening to the latest Cardi B, though. Uh, <laughs> I mean, unless it's like on sort of at, in, in the supermarket or whatever, probably not. <laughs> I don't think they're playing Cardi B in the <laughs> on the supermarket Muzak. <laughs> that would be fantastic. Maybe maybe in about fifteen years yeah. they might uh, be playing. Uh, WAP in Muzak format. Yeah, oh yeah. I think so. I think WAP. Yeah, I mean, if you, as long as as long as the Muzak and the explicit lyrics are, are, are you can totally play WAP in that. And and you could see people uh, dancing in the aisles in, in the canned good aisles or or something or in the produce section. <laughs> Yeah, I, I I I read that and I started thinking to myself and I went, okay, have I been really adopting any new thing? And you're right, it's not. I, I wouldn't say it's a complete shut off, but I think the idea is, and and it's tough for us to see because you don't we don't buy music like we did when we were teenagers, right? Mm, that's right. But I guess they were thinking that at that age of thirty five, you're not if if music was still sold in CD format and not streaming like we are today you find yourself not going into those stores. And I think maybe that's more of a thought. Yeah, that could like be. You're not, yeah. You know, versus when you were, say, uh, when when you had just graduated from Carleton, you were probably going into HMV, you know, yeah. weekly. They, they even had Mr. Sound and Discus back then. <laughs> exactly. I was going into so. all of those. I got, I got, I got, <laughs> Discus reminded in, in me fact, from- it, Sorry, go ahead. No, no. In fact, I, I just thought I thought since since they're doing vaccinations for Generation X, it would be it'd be uh, almost apt if they did a max a mass vaccination a center inside an HMV, an old abandoned HMV. That that would be pretty. You'd, you'd feel more comfortable. You'd feel more at home. <laughs> you'd have a hundred percent. Adoption and the person and the person who who is administering the vaccine would have to be way cooler than you, uh, and sort of like you know sort of like whatever, and then put the back, you know put the shot in. Wear, wearing a wearing a concert tee. Yeah. Uh, speaking about uh, uh, concerts, um, I want to kind of quiz well, not quiz you, but I want to ask what uh, your very first uh, concert was that you've ever been to. The, the very first con, so not including Sharon Lois and Bram at the at the Brampton Civic Center. Uh, Bramley City Center. I saw them there too. Birthday party, right? No, this was the I Brampton bet. Civic Center that was right across. Oh. But it was right across the road from the Bramley City Center. Oh That's yeah, it had the library. Okay, no, 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 no. I well, okay. Besides that one, you're kind of 
you know, when you kind of said, oh, this is the music I want to listen to, because Sharon Lewis and Brand, let's face it, that's parents forcing music that those guys. I forced them. (laughs) So so what was your first kind of first concert that you paid your own? It was it took me a while to get to one, actually. Um, Mm -hmm. The first one I saw, it was it was on my 18th. It was on my actual 18th birthday. And I saw uh, Aerosmith with opening band Skid Row at uh, what was then the Sky Dome. That's a that's a big concert. Like that's yeah. that's that's just a big deal. Like you know, it was oh, it was okay. pretty good. It was pretty good. Sebastian Bach was like on fire. Like he had the crowd just because he was because you know he because he was from Peterborough, right? So he's making all these Toronto references about like next time you're smoking a joint on Young Street and some cop gets in your face, you just t- get, flip him the finger and other was <laughs> like yeah. <laughs> Uh, and and that was that was that was way before he uh he was that regular character on gilmore girls yeah it was it was before then yeah when he was sort of like the fatherly figure on (laughs) on gilmore girls the cool the cool cool playing fatherly figure my first concert was not as big and grandiose as yours uh again you can kind of get into my psyche of, of what subculture that I, I belong to. I, my first concert, I saw ex-Bauhaus lead singer Peter Murphy oh, yeah. at the concert hall. Right on. Um, I forgot who opened for him, but great presence, you know, small ven- smaller venue. Um, a fight broke out in front of us. <laughs> <laughs> where at one point in time, my friend that I went to the concert with was standing to the right of me. When the fight broke out and all things had kind of settled, he somehow got onto the left side of me. He had no idea how that all happened. And um, but yeah, that, that was that was that was my 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 first concert. Um, so let me ask you, uh, what was kind of like one of your favorite concerts? Like kind of actually no, let, let's yeah, let's do your favorite concert. So we talked about your first one, one that, and it doesn't have to be one that you went when you were a teenager. I just thought. Well, actually, maybe yeah, you know, something that defines the generation. Let's let's not say something you want you saw, you know, within the last five years or something. Favorite concert? Well, I got, I have I have two that like if you ask me tomorrow, they might be different. But two that kind of come to mind today is uh, the Headstones. They played at uh, just outside Georgetown in this little town called Norville. There was this there was this bar that used the. I forget what it was called. The Hollywood Tavern. That's what it was called. The Hollywood Tavern. So it was like, you know, like 60, 70 people just crammed into this bar. And uh, and and they were awesome. Like they like like uh, like Hugh Dillon just kicked so much ass. <laughs> people people were uh, people were trying to give him lit cigarettes. <laughs> <laughs> and so he's taking them and he's just flicking them back at people. <laughs> it's just awesome. And then so they did their set and then and then they were like gonna uh, go off for their encore. And then and then mm-hmm. so he took two steps and he was like, ah fuck it. And he just then they just played like another like six or seven songs. It was so good. Um and then the uh the other one was more recently, and it was kind of a surprise. Uh I saw the hives. At the Phoenix, mm. and they were opening for, or no, they weren't. They 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 uh, they were they were in Toronto because they were opening for Maroon Five at I think uh, ACC, but they had a night off from like having to carry uh, what's his name Adam Levine's jockstrap. So they did a, they did a show at the 
at the uh, Phoenix. And I was like, I like the Hives. I'll go check them out. I was blown away, man. No opening band, just them. Like, you know, two hours. And that guy, uh, Howling Pella Almfist, he works the crowd. I've never seen like like a frontman so dedicated to his frontman craft. I was I was absolutely like, wow, these guys are amazing. And, you know, they're really not amazing. They're good. They're a very serviceable band. But like they I was amazed the difference between the the um, recorded hives experience and the live hives hives experience was night and day. No, that's that that's that those those are pretty good. Those are two pretty big uh, good picks. I'll stick with one uh, concert that I, 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 again, I was pretty blown away with. Actually, no, I got, I've got two. Uh, I, I lied. Um, so I'll do it like you. First one was uh, Jane's Addiction at uh, uh, the concert hall as well. And in kind of a, 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 a comic book tie-in with us. So I had lost my favorite watch at that point in time. So, I had purchased, I don't know, I must have saved up quite a bit for it because I, I had purchased a, a Watchman watch mm-hmm. with the um, with the bloodstained happy face. Mm-hmm. And I lost it at that concert. I was like so ticked off with myself. But that would have been uh, off of uh, their first album. So uh, kind of the Jane Says um, and Mountains days. So that was, that was really good to kind of see them in a small venue. And another band that I saw in a small venue was... Uh, was Oasis. Oh, yeah. I saw Oasis at Lee's Palace. It, you know, it, it was like their first time. And I, I, someone had invited me. I'm like, who? And then I was like, okay. Oh, yeah, it's the uh, feeling supersonic gin and tonic guys. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's how I referred to them. Because <laughs> it was just like, oh, I'll come. And I, I had no idea who the band was. And again, where you're just kind of going, whoa, there, there's something going on here. And of course, yeah. huge, right? Yeah, yeah. Wow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that, that like those that was just sheer luck. So, but uh, let me tell you about a concert that I kind of went to hot and then it went cold. Cold being the headlining band. There were three bands played that evening. This was at the Ontario Place Amphitheater. First band was the ska rock band Fishbone. Mm-hmm. Then Stone Temple Pilots came on. This is Scott Whalen uh with a chaperone <laughs> uh, daily. So this uh, this concert would have been this would have been maybe early two thousands. Mm-hmm. So this would he had just came back, right? He, he had he had that one. He had a solo album, and then yeah, yeah. And, and he was you know they were you know they had a you could totally tell he had a chaperone. So amazing. He 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 was so on point, like like you said, just kind of blown away. Like, you know, I listened to Stone Temple Pilots when I was in university, you know, every everyone did at that time. Um, and to see them live for the first time, like it was never a band that I I, I enjoyed their music, I bought their music, but I, it was never a band that I really wanted to go see. Um, so that was really cool. Then the headliners came out, and I was like, it it because Fishbone, high energy, great, Stone Temple Pilots, oh my god. Had the crowd in the, in the palm of his hand, and then it took a nosedive when the red hot chili peppers hit the stage. <laughs> I I don't know what it was, Curtis. I think so rehearsed. Mm-hmm. It felt like I was watching a music video, but not live. It didn't feel like they were alive. It felt like they were just projecting something onto the screen. 
yeah, it was just lackluster. You'd think, you know, sriracha and peppers. But that was also near kind of the, the this was years after uh, sex magic, right? Right. They're, they're, they're no longer playing just with socks covering their genitalia at this point. Yeah, so, you know. But but don't get me wrong. They made stuff that was good after that. But just that time, it was just. I, I went with um, another Carlton alumni, Tim. He he, he's the one that actually had the tickets, and both he and I both agreed. It was just like, wow, it, it, the 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 night, the evening took a huge nosedive. We felt like maybe we should leave and get a head start out of <laughs> driving yeah, out of never a good sign uh, when you're at a concert. Yeah, it was. You would have thought they would have been really good, but man, just disappointing yeah that, that, that's all i could say um i want to go back quickly about what you said about the headstones because uh hugh dylan had a, quite the career right like he is on that tv show flashpoint mm-hmm. for many years right that's right yeah, yeah and again tying us tying a nice little ribbon on, on the existentialist cucumber uh topics he was the voice of nick in left for dead 2 was he yeah so nick was the pessimistic gambler and con artist that was in the group of four yeah um you know they didn't draw him that made it look like um hugh dylan right but, you know it was it was he he, he had the he had the greatest uh voice lines in that game i love that game i, I miss <laughs> that game yeah he became a pretty successful actor uh you know after um after his headstones days but yeah headstones were like a band that i was really uh i was really into and again for for me, I saw them live a few times. That was my favorite time by far seeing them live. But they were one of those ones where, again, like, if you get a Headstones album, you'd be like, decent bar rock. But then when you saw them live, they would... I saw them put on a couple of duds, too. I saw them at the Gloucester Fair. Forget it. <laughs> not, worth, not worth your time. But I saw them at Roxanne's and Hull. I saw them uh, at Barrymore's. I saw them. And when they're playing those kind of places, they were always on point. Hmm. Was there a concert that really disappointed you or in one way, shape or form that you can uh, quickly share before we head to the headlines? Oh, gee. Um, hmm, trying, to, trying to think if there was one that was... Uh, or maybe you've just made really good choices. <laughs> I don't go to too many. Um, and uh, usually I'm... I'm Sometimes I, I go see bands that I don't even know, and I'm just really like I got I got dragged to a Jesus and Mary Chain concert in Montreal. I was like never even heard of them. Well, I've heard of them, but I had not, no real idea of them. And they were great. No banter with the crowd whatsoever. Like four to oh. five super efficient minutes, and they were fantastic. It was so good. The 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 British shoegazer bands. Well, I know they were probably one of the earlier ones, if you will. They're all like that. Yeah. That sounds pretty bad. Actually, you know what? You jogged my memory. There was a concert that I was kind of it. It, it was it was kind of funny though the way it turned out to be disappointing. Is I saw uh, Jethro Tull uh, at the Ottawa Congress. Why? Theater. Why? An excellent question. So right there, <laughs> so Jethro Tull. Okay, so Jethro Tull is playing the Ottawa Congress Center. It's cabaret style, so there's all these round tables and. I went with like three other friends. So the tables have like uh, like 11 or 12 seats. And when we got to our table, there was all these sort of like Ottawa Valley rednecks sitting at it. And they were mm-hmm. spaced out so we couldn't get to our seats. And uh, I said to one of the guys, oh, our seats are at this table too. And he just looked at me and went, oh, really? And they didn't move. And so we're like, all right, I guess we're standing. So, 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 
so we're we're uh we're we're standing we're watching the show and the first half was acoustic so it was all songs from the woods you know ian anderson just fluting it up and then the second half was all electric so that was going to be your you know aqualung album you know thick as a brick all that kind of stuff i thought you were just going to tell me that that's all they played was just a a 20 minute version of aqualung <laughs> no no but but what happened this is what happened was um so it was so because it was cavernous it also had a bar right so yeah i was in university and i was no stranger to a couple of uh you know molson canadians or whatever so so my friend and i just are going to the bar getting drinks everybody's going to the bar getting drinks ian anderson has bar service halted because we're getting too many drinks and not listening to him play songs for the wood <laughs> and all that kind of stuff. The place gets starts to get real tense. So he had to play Aqualung super early, cut like his acoustics set in half and just go straight into the hits and then wrap things up <laughs> just to keep the crowd at bay. <laughs> <laughs> So it was pretty. It was a pretty shitty concert, but it makes for a good story afterwards. Oh no, that's that's awesome. That is awesome. Aqualung. I can't believe you saw. Actually, I. I okay. Uh, what? One more small story. One. One musician that again, I got, I got dragged to the concert. Uh, I I had no interest in his music whatsoever. Uh, I, 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 I may or may not have gone there just for a girl. I don't know. <laughs> um, Kingswood Music, uh, what, what is it? Music Hall? Music, music theater. theater? Yeah. So this is in Canada's Wonderland, now defunct. I saw a Steve Miller band. Mm. And uh, uh, Rick Emmett opened for them. Oh, uh, yeah. X Triumph. Yeah, no, and, and he was, that's all he was playing was Triumph songs. <laughs> <laughs> but uh yeah steve miller um they they rolled out which probably could have been a cardboard cutout because he didn't move oh god and he just played the hits steve miller even though you know you were talking about the like those bands that would kind of turn you off steve mm-hmm. miller was kind of like that for me even though he wasn't of the time of the music crowd we were talking about so many yeah. people in my high school loved like that steve miller sort of greatest hits album and stuff around that time. And I was like, I'm just not getting the fascination. The lyrics, are, the lyrics are, are, are absolutely like more, they're, they're intellectually bankrupt. <laughs> well, but maybe, maybe you, you just proved it even further is with that musical drought, more people that either didn't take my route and was kind of like listening to college radio station music at the time. Yeah. went, back deep into the vaults right Mm -hmm. breaking out steve miller for those that didn't really necessarily get the doors Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. maybe didn't like floyd or had no idea what they could deal with like i i i i probably didn't start appreciating floyd until when i was much older i think when radiohead's okay computer came out and at the time i was like listening to the crap out of that i thought it was amazing Mm -hmm. album Mm mm-hmm and then that led me into listening to uh, Dark Side. Yeah. And I was like, wow, these two, these two albums, yeah, musically, they're from different generations. But man, there's, I could 
yeah, you could say, kind of see some parallels, right? Like it was just like this one large musical. Yeah, piece. there's a vibe. There's there's a definite like vibe that exists between the two. Yeah, and and both albums really you listen to it from beginning to end, mm-hmm. even though there are tracks like you're meant to listen to it as one. Yeah. Okay, let's head to the headlines. A new epidemic is raging through Springfield, and this one didn't start with Krusty Burger's Whatchamacarcus sandwich. Interestingly enough, because it's our music episode, some two music headlines. So I already talked about uh, this one a bit at the beginning, but uh, here's the headline. Morrissey wages war on the Simpsons for spoofing him as an aging bigot. <laughs> the, quant- the funny thing is... It, 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 Aging, maybe, but bigot. He's always been one. Like I, that, that, that really surprised me. But I, I guess maybe it shouldn't because when I was listening to Morrissey during my height of Morrissey, I didn't. There wasn't the internet where you kind of get in touch with the artist and their day to day and whatever. Like unless you read New Music Express and all, and you followed him, which Morrissey was not getting mainstream press anyways. Mm-hmm. Wow, he is a raging racist, eh? (laughs) (laughs) I I didn't know until later. Much like I think a lot of people didn't know until. And and, and doesn't doesn't he support some type of white nationalist British political group? Oh, like the National Party or something like that? Maybe. So, uh, yeah. So the episode of The Simpsons aired uh, a new episode this Sunday. It was called uh, Panic on the Streets of Springfield. It had Benedict Cumberbatch playing uh, the voices. He basically played the two voices, uh, young Quillam B, and obviously the aged version uh, as Lisa and his, her imaginary friend Quillam B um, go to see him live as he is um, in, in modern day, who the character is basically a overweight, greedy, making racist comments. <laughs> and... He also decides he's no longer a vegan, and there's this fantastic scene where he's firing a sausage link gun into the crowd, firing sausages into the crowd, and yeah. the crowd is all you know nostalgic. So it, it is it, it is Morrissey, right? Like he mm-hmm. they they talk about the fact that Quillen B came from a band called the Snuffs. Mm-hmm. Um, what were the what were the the the, the snuffs album or song? Wasn't it hamburger is homicide. Hamburger is yeah. homicide, right? Brilliant. You know, playing. You know, um, uh, paralleling or basically uh, parodying the meat is murder album, right? Yeah. So, uh, but it was a great episode. I, I I had not seen a brand new episode of The Simpsons in in many many years, and I heard about the Cumberbatch episode. I didn't know it was a Morrissey spoof. Uh, but more and more you're watching it, it's like, wow, this is really Morrissey. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, so Morrissey got onto Facebook on Monday, wrote this huge diatribe, basically saying that's not him, blah, blah, blah. And people are going, yeah, it is. Yeah. <laughs> You've been like that for decades. Yeah, if it wasn't, um, if it wasn't, if it wasn't, uh, if it didn't hit a bit, a bit close to home, he wouldn't have bothered writing that diatribe. <laughs> yeah. No. So the episode, just like The Simpsons of old, there's, there's two parallel stories. So Homer gets this giant pickup truck. It comes with a free subscription to Slapify, mm-hmm. though though we love you, Spotify. There's this funny scene of Lisa spending hours and into the night trying to find music. And I think a lot of people have that same problem with Spotify as well. There's just so much on there that 
it's just hard to find something. Mm-hmm. So she finds, she bumps into uh, Quill and B in the snuffs and she starts. And so as a result, Quill and B uh, appears as Lisa's imaginary confidant throughout the episode, guiding her into this new Lisa persona, which is teenager persona, right? Mm-hmm. Teenager Lisa. She's wearing like this faded army coat. She's got pins and uh, all over it. Um, so the episode guides those two uh, through 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 you know school adventure and then out and then eventually Lisa goes to see him live, uh, modern day uh, Quillenby. Uh, there is a few uh, songs in there that uh, Cumberbatch sings, which is uh, interesting enough, written by uh, Brett McKenzie from Flight of the Concords. Yeah. I did find that interesting when you told me. Yeah, it, it, it was just like this episode just kind of, you know, it, it hit on all cylinders. Except Homer is still just one giant goof. Yeah, he's he's just kind of tiring now. It's like we were talking about earlier. Like, he's always been dumb, but now he's just kind of like random and chaotic and he's not really relatable anymore. Mm-hmm. But, uh, but, you know, I, I always liked Lisa-centric episodes. You didn't get too many of them, so... Yeah. Glad, glad to know that she's still uh, she still brings it. Yep, yep. No, no. It's 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 good. Uh, let's let's move on to the second music headline. Tragic for a generation, maybe not ours particularly, unless you're a big fan there, Curtis. But uh, Jim Steinman passed away on Monday, right? I, I believe so. Yeah, seventy yeah, so seventy three was it? Seventy. Yep. Yeah. So he was the longtime collaborator for Meatloaf, right? I think that would probably be. Yeah, he wrote me. Yeah, he wrote like the music for Bad Out of Hell and I think Bad Out of Hell 2, Back into Hell. And he's written like if there's he's got a type like you you can tell a Jim Steinman song from a mile away because mm-hmm. it's super bombastic, super melodramatic, like grotesquely so. So he did like um, Total Eclipse of the Heart. Like when it works, it's great. He did Total Eclipse of the Heart, which I love. Uh, he did uh, It's All Coming Back to Me Now by Celine Dion, but there's so there's no real, I don't think, a ton of earnesty in there. It's all a lot of bombast and, and, and stuff like that. And it's funny because uh, I was telling you before. We was you, 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 what, what do you mean? <laughs> Paradise by the Dashboard Light is a very subtle song. <laughs> yeah. yeah, subtlety is not in the, is not in the Jim Steinman lexicon. Um, now, now, did he did he also write the some of the music or the song that Meatloaf sang in uh, Rocky Horror Picture Show? Do, do we do? Did we know that? Like, yeah, I, I I'm kind of curious because maybe. because like you said, that bombastic feel, like the basically the two songs that uh, Meatloaf is in. I, maybe not the one that the, the one where they sing of him. What was his character's name? Eddie. I can't. I don't really know much about Rocky. Oh come Horror. on, Curtis! Rocky Horror Picture <laughs> Show. Come on. I just know you throw toast at the screen or something like that. <laughs> um, but but the story is, and again, tying to a, a common topic here is Jim Steinman also wrote, and I don't know how he got this gig. Maybe he really needed the number, but he wrote a song for the WWF or then WWF, which was this, as you said grandiose bombastic <laughs> instrumental for one hulk hogan mm-hmm. available on the wrestling album the first the first the, wrestling album yep and it was the hulk hogan theme it was supposed to be his entrance music or i don't know if he actually did enter 
with the song? Maybe. He might have uh, briefly, but like, I mean, he co-opted Real American so quickly that it's, mm-hmm. you know. But but yeah, he, he yeah, Steinman wrote this song. Um, and But apparently he must have mailed it in because a lot of people are saying, hold on. It sounds a lot and like a lot of uh, uh, similar to Ravishing that he wrote for Bonnie Tyler. Yeah. He, he essentially just stripped it of the of the lyrics. and. <laughs> well, actually, the funny thing is, is uh, the WWF album came out first. Oh, yeah. Then the Bonnie Tyler song <laughs> came out. <laughs> so you, 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 you make up your mind where he was mailing it in. <laughs> but, uh, the article talks about here. Well, the, 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 yeah, the headline is um, here. The Jim Steinman written theme song for Hulk Hogan. Uh, Hulk Hogan's theme appeared in 1985's wrestling album and is a. Sonic sibling to Bonnie Tyler's 1986 song Ravishing. So the the quote here is based on the based around tinkling piano and quickly overtaken by pulsating synthesizer Hulk Hogan theme and Ravishing are nearly indistinguishable. In fact, they're all but the same song until Tyler begins singing in her version. <laughs> and Bonnie Tyler can make a song her own. But uh, but uh, um, the, uh, the funny thing about, uh, I was sort of a, it's sort of a, a bit of an embarrassing Jim Steinman <laughs> story that I was telling you before. Um, and this ties into what we were t- uh, talking about Spotify as well. There's this, uh, there's this thing called music league. It's a website called uh, music league where you can set up these leagues with your friends and everybody submits songs. And then the, the, you know, the people, in the league, listening, listen to the resulting playlists and then vote on the songs they like and their standings and all that kind of stuff. So our, in the Music League I'm in, our most recent week was called Fist Clenching Ballads. So I knew <laughs> that there was going to be some Steinman content. And sure enough, Total Eclipse of the Heart and and uh, Celine Dion's uh, It's All Coming Back to Me are both on there. So in the comments, I was like, Saying like I knew there was going to be some Steinman on this. He's so over the top, grotesquely over the top, and blah blah blah. And I was just kind of ripping on him a little bit. And then the next day he died. So, 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 so then I felt, and then I was like, oh no, these comments are going to get released. But there's nothing I can do about them. <laughs> you, you, you cursed him, man. Yeah. So I felt I felt pretty bad. I don't because because the thing is like I do en- I, I I enjoy it in the right circumstances, but it's so ridiculously over the top, and sometimes it's just too much. Are, are you allowed? Is 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 there is there a, a coordinator that um, suggests or sets the the theme, or can you suggest the theme? You can do it. Um, I don't know if there's a way that you can get like the website to do it for you. That would be interesting. Um, okay. But this is like Heather uh, basically runs it. So she uh, consults with, and like a different person from the league suggests the theme every week. So she'll coordinate with that person and get the theme and get it out there. So, so you, you gave me a, a, a hilarious idea only because it reminded me of the story, which I didn't put on our headlines because it didn't fit in the music one. It sort of does oddly. It, the guys that got in trouble for bringing the stripper onto their construction oh, site. Yeah, yeah. Just like your fist. Uh, not that I thought stripper and fisting came together, but <laughs> your fisting, clench, your fist clenching ballads. I dare you, Curtis, suggest a 
playlist of the third song, which would be oh. the third song in a stripper's uh, routine. That's really good. That's really good. You know, like the number one song would be uh, White Snake, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, here I go again. Is that is that the song? Here I go again. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we had we did the second week. We had a pervious song, which is sort of the same, not quite. I mean, I think there's a certain art to picking that third song. Uh, I came in second that week with my selection of seventeen by Winger. Hmm. Um. So, uh, continuing on that Hulk Hogan uh song. So obviously, the song Jim song was never used. It was then. Co- he, Hogan co-opted the Rick Derringer, right? It was Rick Derringer. Derringer that, yeah. That wrote, yeah. Rick Derringer. Yeah. He, that, 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 uh, wrote real American, Like, isn't it insane? Like those musical people writing for Vince. <laughs> I think Der- Derringer, uh, I don't think Steinman to my knowledge did anything for Vince again, but, uh, Derringer came back for pile driver, the wrestling album too, with the demolition theme. So he was. Well, hey, he was. He was in. The, he was. He was in the. He was in the circle for uh, for a while. So, uh, like you said, uh, the real American theme was originally written for. What, what was the Barry Windham group? and Mike Rotundo, the tag team? I forget what they yeah. were called. Uh, the uh, they weren't. They weren't the Rock and Roll Express, were they? Rock. Or they were they the Patriots? No, not the Patriots. Oh, well, the the funny thing is. The two of them, so I think if I can, if I get this right, Rotundo married Wyndham's sister. Okay, I, I could be completely wrong, uh, but but if, stay stay with me. Uh, wrestling tie-in story. Their child is Bray Wyatt. Oh, okay. Of WWE now, so the fiend, the yeah, what probably be like. He's like the 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 out there artist when it comes to WWE. Yeah. He doesn't care about, and 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 maybe right now today, like the title is nice, but that character is not about winning titles. Like it doesn't care. Like, yeah, he's almost <laughs> like a performance artist. Just oh. just in in but in in wrestling, you know, he's a wrestling. Oh yeah, artist. like it's it's crazy, but yeah, it's it's interesting. So, um, uh, because I think actually his name is his real name is Wyndham. And he, he refers to his uncle. So I have a funny feeling there's some type of family relationship there. But right. uh, either way, so uh, Darren, they they leave for N, uh, NWA and then Hogan takes on Real American, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, there's this quote here from Derringer saying, uh, I never intended it to for the WWF. Um, Real American, I remember thinking, we have we have written the most patriotic song of all time. <laughs> <laughs> but let me let me tell you when that song hits it still gets a huge pop oh yeah just that 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 guitar right that dun, 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 yeah like the, like that the uh stone cold you, you know the glass shattering there's certain things that are always that would always get pops oh yeah great use of music and wwe's always been a big supporter of of you know, mainstream music, right? Even today, you know, they always have a band or bands playing at WrestleMania. Mm-hmm. There's always like songs and maybe not so much where they're getting big bands um, doing their theme. Like probably the 
besides Derringer doing uh, Real American, um, you know, a famous one would have been when The Undertaker, when he was the biker, was rolling into uh, Limp Biscuit, right? Limp Biscuit, yeah. Uh, there was a, they had that one. They had that one phase where they had like the because um, remember, uh, uh, Run DMC did the DMX or uh, D not DMX. <laughs> Run DMC did the, <laughs> did the Degeneration X theme, and they they used that one for a while. I think Our Lady Peace did the uh, Chris Benoit theme. Chris Benoit used for a while. Um, in a more modern day, and I, I hadn't seen her in, in I don't know long, long time, but she she's 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 looking really good for you know. Let's just be honest for her age. Um, Ronda Rousey was using um, a Joan Jett's song. It'll come oh, to ba- me. Oh, uh, bad reputation. Bad reputation. Yeah. And she played her in at WrestleMania. So that would have been 60,000 plus. So when was the last time Joan Jett played in front of 60,000 people, her big song, but man, she, you know, she looked like she almost did did in the seventies. Like I, I just hadn't seen her in a while. And it was just like, wow. Um, pretty amazing, but always a big supporter of, of music and music is very huge in wrestling, right? Like, you know, that, like you said, those first few bars introducing the wrestlers, like huge, right? I would say to anybody listening right now, if you want to get the most out of the music and wrestling hybrid, look up There's Never Been a Right Time to Say Goodbye by Bret Hart and thank, <laughs> and thank me later. <laughs> Didn't Jesse do, uh, Jesse the Body have his own song where he was not really rapping, but kind of talking? Uh, I'm, sure he, I'm sure he must have. Uh, I, I have a funny feeling he did, but like, uh, I just remembered a music video. That's all. Yes. Oh, okay. So uh, wrapping up our headlines, always there for us, our Guinness genius, Mr. Idaho Man, has done it again, Curtis. No more than two days ago, Idaho Man catches balls with bucket on his head to reclaim Guinness title. So David Rush, the gentleman who has over 150 Guinness records to promote STEM education, uh, reclaimed his title. Um, Man, I can't believe he lost it in the first place. But also you and I said, even though last week's um, one was very good, where the stacking of the soap, Mm -hmm. this one we kind of question his legitimacy of this title because he is... He has this giant wash bucket on his head, and he's holding it with his hands. I thought at first he was just doing it with no hands. It just had it. So he's holding this bucket while his partner is throwing balls into the bucket. It's a, it's a big bucket, so it's hard to miss. So I don't know where the challenge is there. You and I both say that really it's the partner that has that record because he has to throw, in this case here, to reclaim the record, 107 balls into this bucket within a minute mm-hmm. so he's just standing there he's just standing there the holding bucket the bucket on, his, on head. his head and it's not a, it's not a small bucket so maybe there's some it's not like a a, a solo cup yeah right yeah he doesn't have to <laughs> this do is much a, movement like this is something that you're washing clothes a small child maybe a, a, a giant watermelon i don't know do you wash a watermelon I guess you don't, right? No, I don't think just because that the, the rind is so thick. <laughs> yeah, you don't have to wash it. But uh, yeah, so so really, it's the other guy who's doing the lion's share of the 
the work because he's the guy who's got to throw the balls at a at, at like breakneck speed. Breakneck speed. Yeah, he's the one who has to be accurate. That's right, accurate. And there's an endurance factor because we calculated that in order for him to achieve the 107 catches, he had to throw an average of 1.8 balls per second. Yeah. So, so yeah, you're basically you know, flail your arms with some accuracy for a minute. And I, I bet you can't do it. <laughs> no. So I'm impressed. I'm, I'm, I'm impressed again this week, but not with David. No, Rush, not, not his, exactly. His, maybe with his buddy, with his able assistant. That doesn't get enough credit. Oh yeah. And, and unfortunately it wasn't, a, I couldn't find a, a musical world record that he beat, but this was just more ridiculous. So, <laughs> Out you go. Sorry, what was his name again? Uh, Mr. Rush, uh, David. We'll, we'll we'll catch you next week. Oh, you know what? We 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 had our music episode, but let's let's talk a bit about it, Curse, because uh, every episode of the Existential Cucumber, we have our theme song at the beginning and and our t- trailer song at the end, which is done by your band. That's right, the Corporate Valentines. That's right, the Corporate Valentines. So that was from our most recent album, uh, which is. Uh, our COVID-19 album, which stands for Corporate Valentines Do 19 Songs, because um, there are 19 songs on the album. The album is not re- not going to be released. It is only for, for our for our amusement. Oh, no. <laughs> NFT. We could, NFT. We could. We could. That's an excellent point. We should look into that. But uh, that song, that song, uh, "Working from Home," is our ode to. Uh, it's it's like a Bachman Turner Overdrive song for the pandemic times. And 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 you can hear it right now, as as we play ourselves out. So thank you again, Curtis. You can catch Curtis and I weekly on Spotify and Apple Podcast, where you can go and give us that five star rating, leave a comment. It helps others find us for curtis and i thank you so much for listening and just remember that sometimes a cucumber is just a cucumber from home.